welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. Uh, Santi's on his way, but we're going to get started anyway here. We've got a live stream going as usual. Uh, Stu, looks like you've got a tasty beverage there. I'm going to start with you. Yeah, it's cranberry juice. <clears throat> okay. I'm old. <laughs> yes, you are. That'll do it. <laughs> Full of antioxidants. Um, I'm but, doing well. But yeah, talk about the banner. You just hung it up. Uh, yeah, so I painted uh, a nice checkerboard city two little banner for Friday, the home opener. So that's awesome. Wanted to do something, so I got that and the uh, new Luligan banner. So if you see those throughout this year, they'll should be at most of the games. It looks amazing. So yeah, it's pink and blue checkerboard for the podcast listeners with the crest in the middle, the two crest in the middle at that and yeah specify the two crest because yeah. it, it looks slick and both of both the two crest and the luligan uh banner that you made made appearances on friday in the march i think one or both are in the video that city released today yeah and the um it's the actual correct colors so that's nice that's pantone right. matched it looks right uh, yeah it's the right uh city red and the blue is correct but that's mostly because i just lucked out <laughs> Uh, it looks uh, dark but it, it, i'm glad it's right i like dark blue looks good yeah just looking at the camera it's a little bit a little bit off but in person it's it's correct good. isn't that how city red always goes though yeah. <laughs> always I, i've also while we're on the subject looking at this reminds me that you know the city doesn't really have a jersey out and so when I think of right now, when I think of the city jersey, quote, quote, city jersey or kit, I think of the Luligan checkerboard. It's like become like, hey, I saw the pink and blue checkerboard. That's city. You know, like I'm putting those things together in my mind. I think it's it's a it's a nice way to start and maybe a, a yet another hint, hint. Let's stick with the checkers, huh? And the city is built or the Luligan one is building off of uh, Purina, obviously, but also the what the seat colors will look like in the stadium oh yeah that's true there's a lot of synergy going on (laughs) we'll call it synergy that's good that's good matt um so yeah matt's here of course uh matt you've had a tough week right solo parenting getting ready for a vacation it's it's been a long week but it's been an exciting week looking back on uh what we got to experience this past weekend we're officially in season now i'm not going to take that uh that transition uh because i want to give you a platform to complain about schedule changing in mls next pro if you'd like now is your time <laughs> i don't know who i i was telling Stu. i don't know who i should be mad at should i be mad at mls next pro should i be mad at the colorado rapids should i be mad at whatever random college they were going to be playing at this weekend but i had it all lined up going to colorado this weekend I was going to see the rapids game at Dick Sporting Goods on Saturday, I was going to see the City Two match with a couple friends that we have out there on mm-hmm. Sunday. It was going to be a whole thing. It was going to be fantastic, and then uh, and then suddenly the game just disappears from the schedule. And uh, I heard a rumor that whether it was myself or other people complaining that City got word that there were people traveling for the game, and so they wanted to put something out there for the fans, which is appreciated that it was officially canceled. So, but I, I still don't know why it was canceled or postponed now because it's moved to Jan, uh, June 8th, but I, I just want somebody to be upset about. And per <laughs> Stu's suggestion, I am upset at Stan Kroenke for this one. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Always. <laughs> yeah. 
when in doubt, right? Um, just in time, Santiago, I just introduced Stuart and Matt, and you just signed on. Uh, I'm so glad you've joined us. Uh, you're clean-shaven. You look very, very nice, sir. Um, but we might need to be your, like, supportive friends tonight. You just witnessed some really terrible things, man. Yeah, yeah. No, really no miracles. No miracles tonight for Colombia, so... Uh, we're out of the World Cup, so um, I guess I'm looking forward to 2026. <laughs> God, it hurts. It hurts me to hear you say that because we've just gone through this too. I think I'm impressed you're here. I, I seriously, I would be taking it very badly. I'd be very angry. No, it, it's fine. I, it was. I kind of knew it was going to happen. Like uh, we had some hope uh, going into today's game, but uh, it was. Very, chances were very slim. Like Peru wasn't gonna lose or tie at home with a chance to uh, yeah. qualify for the playoffs. So Colombia did this to itself with uh, losing to Peru uh, in January and all the scoreless ties that they had. So it is what it is. But it's good. I uh, Mario was there, so uh, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit and give him a hug and congratulate him at the end. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's probably a little easier for you. The, the fact that you're in Conma Ball, you know, this isn't your first go, in a, you know, in your lifetime to not make yeah. the cup. So. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. Like, um, Colombia basically went 16 years without going to a World Cup. I, hmm. I grew up, uh, like, rooting for Colombia. And when, when I was 10, Colombia qualified uh, – for the World Cup for the first time in uh, 28 years wow. and then they qualified for a couple more and then they went three in a row without going so kind of used to kind of used to that hopefully it does we hopefully we don't go 16 years without going to one again mm-hmm. um, 2026 uh, we'll have more teams so hopefully it will be enough for Colombia to qualify we'll see hope so Rooting for you, man, and again, feeling for you. Uh, we won't dwell on it tonight. Let's talk about St. <laughs> Louis. I mean, we've got some good news, and uh, the the first good news that we wanted to definitely uh, rush to, I've been dying to talk about it, and I'm sure you guys have been as well, that 2-0 win against Rochester, New York. Um, what was that, Saturday night? No, Friday night. Friday, Friday night. night. Oh, goodness. Night. I was out of town, so I was a little off. Um, I couldn't make it. It hurt me badly, but I did watch it. I watched the broadcast, and it was nice to have Taylor Twelman there. And that's about as much as I'll talk about, because I want to give you guys a chance to talk about the game day experience. Stuart, I want to start with you on this one, because, um, you know, Matt, I'm sure you were in the march as well, but, you know, I want to hear about the march. I want to hear about pregame and, and what the atmosphere was like there at, at Herman Stadium. Uh, well, I can't speak to the pregame very much because I was uh, working on that for a while. Oh, and, ran uh, up to the deadline on that one. <laughs> uh, not as bad as, as most of these that I work on. It was actually dry by the time I brought it over. So um, the the issue was since there wasn't food at the tailgate, I was wondering where to go. So went to Chipotle, and Chipotle was pretty pretty packed on Grand before. So probably didn't get enough time to uh move on that but um <clears throat> i got there i don't know 15 20 minutes before the march and the atmosphere was really good um up top uh march was great um 
I don't know. It, it just felt good to be to be part of it again. We'll come right Derek back. Gottman had some smoke that he uh, he had stored away for a while. <laughs> that was the right right color, so they got to pop that on the march, and that was pretty cool. But cool. Um, he picked the perfect time to let that thing go. He was holding it. And he was like, "Should I try to get it in? Should we? What, what, what are we doing here?" And then he just popped it. And his I loved his uh, his comment afterwards that he was sure he was going to get in trouble for it, but as soon as he popped it, boy, did those cameras just swarm on him. <laughs> Well, that doesn't mean he wouldn't get in trouble for it. We are no, talking both, about uh, yeah, MLS who does love to um, slap people on the hand for demonstration of like fan support and then also find them for it. <laughs> but also use them in their marketing material. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, but he didn't get in trouble, I'm, I'm assuming here. No. no. Yeah. Uh, cool. Matt, why don't you talk about pregame since Stuart didn't quite make it? <laughs> Well, first thing, first thing I'll plug is a, a food option. So we, we got there pretty early, um, my wife and myself, and uh, per her suggestion, we went to uh, Black Market Eats. I think it's either just Black Market or Black Market Eats. That uh, like sushi burritos. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love those. Man. Yeah. So good. Uh, the, there was a spicy tuna that was just to die for. And can't, can't recommend that enough. I think it's over on um, like La Clede or just north of Ikea. Every time yeah. I go to Ikea, I go to Black Market, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was perfect. And it was it was easy, order ahead, pick it up, head straight to Herman. Nice. Um, we got there a little bit before 5, so the tailgate officially started at 5.15. We actually um, bought, set up, and were kind of installing the international flags that you saw at the top of uh, the supporter section. So I thought it would be a cool idea to have international flags representing the home countries of every single one of our players. So we ended up with seven total, and I almost missed one. Um, real quick aside, that app update that they made this past or yeah last week that included all the the roster and schedule and everything, that had an extra home country that had not been advertised, and I think it was Vitor Diaz who mm-hmm. they they advertised on the app as from Mexico City, Mexico. Oh. And on the website, he was from Minnesota. Huh. So two days before the match, I had to buy myself a, a Mexico flag, and it arrived the day that we played El Tree, which was real awkward. <laughs> but but all, all's well that ends well. That worked out. So, True. <laughs> so the tailgate kind of started right when it was advertised. 515, people were just showing up. They were excited. Um, you know, you had the the Luligan merch tent. You had, or not tent, but the merch stand. You had music blasting. They couldn't get the actual tailgate in there because of the height restrictions of the parking garage. But everything was just um, a big party. And by the time, um, by the time we got back from installing the flags in the stadium ahead of time, it was just uh, there were looked like hundreds of people up there, and it was. It was everything I think you had hoped it was going to be, um, with all of like the, the the pent up excitement, the just first game home opener, league opener. Uh, there were there were different groups handing out like stickers, like the punks and the no nap ultras. You know all these different groups that that have spun up and stuff. And they were, I mean, it was everybody was just getting to know each other. I was I was just introducing myself to random people, um, some of whom were like, "Here's my social media handle." And it was, it was kind of like an interesting in-person introduction where you've talked to them online before, and this was that first opportunity to really get to know and get to see everybody. So it was, it was, uh, 
it was unique, it was exciting, and it made the time go by so incredibly fast. I felt like the tailgate started and ended just in a matter of minutes with how just how many people were there, how exciting it was, what the atmosphere was like. Um, I did think it was cool to, uh, during the tailgate, we went over, Michelle and I went over to install those flags in the stadium. We were there before um, Caleb let us in with the, the drummers to put those in. And that line had already formed. There was a line at least 30 people long waiting to get in right at the, the gate start at like 5.15. And you could see that that it was all kind of like everybody was figuring it out. The team was figuring out, you know, what the best uh, operation is here. Fans were already just completely excited and they just poured in and it just didn't stop. It seemed when they opened those gates. So it was, it was almost surreal. Like, you know, we, we come from uh, St. Louis FC and seeing different MLS clubs and USL all over the place. And it just seemed like there was a different level to the atmosphere and to the excitement that, I can't really recall maybe outside of the open cup runs we had from San Luis FC or the 2019 playoff push, but it just, I mean, there was something about it that it really seemed special. And I really hope, and I think we can keep that kind of excitement going. I don't know if we're going to sell out again. Um, but I think that level of excitement spurred on by the win and the style of play they were playing, we'll get to in a little bit. Um, that, that just carried everybody through the entire thing. And so, yeah, the, the, the pre-match stuff in particular was, I, I just look back on it with the fondest of memories. It was, it was amazing. I can't wait to do that again in a couple uh-huh. weeks. Yeah. Santiago, I want to hear what your day was like. I know you were doing the Spanish language broadcast with Lidar Sports, which is really awesome. Um, so I didn't know what you were up to during the game and before. Yeah. So um, I got there like really early and um, I had a plan to... Uh, basically get ready to um, get everything ready for the Spanish broadcast and then uh, stop by the tailgate uh, meet some people um, I even got uh, I even talked my wife into going to the game so the plan was nice. to have her stop by the tailgate and meet you guys but um, unfortunately things didn't go as planned um, so we got um, really early to a stadium like around 4:35, and um we had some issues uh some technical issues so basically we basically like we were trying to take care of all of that and um at the end i couldn't make it to a tailgate and um we were able to do a spanish broadcast but i uh, had some issues with uh internet connectivity so uh, unfortunately <laughs> Um, we wanted to put out like the the Spanish call of the first goal, but due to uh, some issues with the internet, it, it didn't like it kind of got cut in the middle, so uh, nothing good came out of it. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll resolve some of the we'll, we'll be able to resolve those issues for the next game, uh, assuming um, we're able to do it. I don't know if you know, but um, like MLS Next Pro kind of kind of wanted to have their own thing and uh, my understanding is that uh, there may not be any more opportunities for broadcast but uh, we'll see we'll we'll continue uh. talking to to CDSC to see uh, if we'll be able to do or games. but but um, back to Matt's comment uh, really exciting atmosphere like uh, it just thinking about a uh, previous st. Louis 
FC games. It reminded me a lot of um, when St. Louis FC played uh, Chicago Fire uh, in the U.S. Open Cup, like mm -hmm. a full stadium. And as Matt was saying, like people in line, like really early, like it was a great atmosphere and it was great to see, uh, like everywhere I look, I saw people wearing a scarf or a t-shirt or a hat. And uh, it was great to see everybody in in city red colors uh, so i'm looking forward to uh, more games uh, one thing that may help uh, for an, maybe another sellout or another game with a lot of people is that the team is not playing this weekend and uh, the next game is another home game so you won and then your next game is a home game it's a perfect combination so so we may see another game with a great atmosphere yeah, I'm, I am super curious. And Matt, you mentioned that too about will we sell out the next one? Who knows? I know for a fact I'm buying my tickets like tomorrow uh, to make sure I got them for this next game. But um, it sounds like so on the broadcast I was watching, it wasn't that loud. And, you know, that's all up to the miking and stuff like that. So I was dying to ask you guys how it compared to St. Louis FC games. You guys are basically, it sounds like you're saying it was as good or better than that Open Cup game. It was loud, it was crazy, it was good. I thought it was real loud. Um, awesome. I mean, the, so the supporters section were, it was two sections um, close to midfield, I think, um, closer to midfield than it was the, the end line, that's for sure. But the drums were right in front of one section, um, and like Stu and myself were right in front of the section next to it. And it was, I mean, incredibly loud from where we were. I would assume that was that loud elsewhere and it felt like and it could just be uh recency bias but it it felt like every bit as loud as it was in those best san Luis fc games that we had nice yeah obviously I, I was doing the broadcast but every time i had a chance like to take a pause and kind of see what was going on like all i could hear was uh the luligans uh, cheering so that was great that's shout awesome. out to the uh, shout out to the new. I mean, I know that this is silly has their own supporters pod or podcast, but shout out to the the new folks who weren't around or at least weren't prominent for the St. Louis FC days. Um, I know there were at least one or two of the the guys doing the capoing who came up from Austin FC and they were involved in uh, some of the supporter groups down there. Took what they learned down there and now they're doing it for us. And like the like Clayton and Austin, those guys, they were yeah. killing it. And it was, I mean, it was great to meet them, and they were just constantly at it. So I think that bodes extremely well for what the atmosphere is going to be like going forward. When you say they were hanging out with Austin FC, what brought them here? Like, and I guess are they joining the Luligans as capos? Or uh, Clayton moved is originally from St. Louis, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he lived in Austin for a while. Didn't he live in another MLS city? I just know about Austin. Um, I don't know. I'm, he was at one of the, or a couple of the preseason games huh. at Grief Court Park. Um, real nice guy, but yeah, he, he, he killed it. He was awesome as a uh, capoing. That's great. That's, I mean, uh, it's a hard job, I think. And the drummers too. I mean, yeah, that, that, and, and knowing what they're doing, uh, it, again, I'm, uh, kind of beating a dead horse here, but it bodes really well going forward for the atmosphere that they're going to bring. Cause it, it's something that is able to be consistent. It wasn't just a one-off. Mm -hmm. That's great. 
while we're talking about atmosphere, um, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the first goal, right? And, you know, the game kicked off, and you could tell, um, I, I don't know if you guys heard this, but in the in the broadcast they mentioned how Rochester had only been training for like a week, maybe four days. I don't know if I heard that wrong. I don't want to, you know, I get things wrong a lot. So, but not long, right? Way behind us as far as like getting their stuff together and playing together. Um, so it definitely started with us um, really kind of controlling the game and uh, ended, you know, we ended up getting that Kuzain goal off of a corner kick, um, which wasn't terribly surprising if you know uh, the kind of game that Kuzain can play and some of the things that happened in preseason. So um, let's talk about that Kuzain goal, the first one in MLS Next Pro history, first one in STL City 2 um, real season history. Um, massive, and it's awesome that it's a St. Louis boy, right? I think it's perfect. Was it was it a corner kick or was it a free kick? From... It was a, it was it was a, a free, free kick. kick. Yeah, it was a free kick. Because I and I thought the same thing honestly too. And I was watching replays because like you made a comment, Phil, about uh, if you're watching the broadcast. And so here's my one time I'm going to say this. No, I wasn't watching the damn broadcast because they don't have on-demand replays available. <laughs> so MLS Next Pro or anybody from City who has sway, can we get those up, please? Because I would be desperate to watch that. And it was in the 20th minute. I had to pull yep. this back up. And honestly, it looked like a shot on goal, right? Was I mean, Schneider's yeah. it was almost a, a shot as opposed to a cross. It, it hit the post. Oh, oh, it hit the post. Oh, yep. wow. It looked yeah. like I, I I could have swore it hit the keeper, but you I mean you were obviously had the, the vantage point, yeah. and then it just kind of bounced into uh, open space there where Kuzain was Kuzain, just yeah. I mean perfectly in the right spot. Yeah, I think it may have been the post and the keeper, the, like combination of both, but it definitely hit the post. That's wow. crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean Kuzain, it's like he's money from that area. It's just like plan on it right it's going to be on goal at the very least and he put some spice on it too so it was really nice to see that go in and again that it was Kuzain um you know I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now like oh you guys didn't get to see it so on the broadcast maybe it's good that I missed the game I saw a lot of cool stuff um at the end it was Susanna Collins did an interview with Kuzain and um she's like how big is this for you you are a hometown boy you know yeah. you know they did get it right that he grew up in collinsville outside st louis so they didn't like get it right and um she's like how big is it for you to uh, score the first goal for st louis and i have been big on like kuzain doesn't show much emotion and i've been starting to question just for that alone it's not a good reason but for that alone i was like is this dude even like is he burned out on soccer does he even really care <laughs> Dude was so animated. He was so happy. And I'm sure you guys probably got to see that he went into the stands with his friends and his family. And he was just so excited that he scored the first goal for City uh, City 2 and um, that he was in front of his family and he's playing pro soccer in St. Louis. It's just like he was so happy and it was really cool to see. So that was nice to see on the broadcast. Great interview from Susanna, of course, on the sidelines. Um, you know, that's the other thing. If you want to talk about the broadcast that – had Susanna Collins. They had who's oh they had uh, Poppy Miller on the sidelines. Both those those ladies, and then you know Taylor Twelman in the booth um, with the play-by-play guy. I'm sorry I didn't uh, get his name. Um, so that was really cool, and they did a good job. Uh, and it was nice to hear Taylor talking about St. Louis things and, and doing as good a job as he always does. So that's the side of things. If you missed the broadcast, it really was very good. Maybe we'll get lucky. And, and let's talk about this now. Actually, before we do the next goal. How come we don't have a replay on MLS Next Pro? This is unacceptable, right? 
Well, yeah, it, it's definitely unacceptable. But the I think MLS really pulled out all the stops for uh, for Friday's game. Was, this is definitely probably their. I mean, they planned well to have this be their first game, and um, the Cello crowd that absolutely reinforced uh, their decision on that. Uh, but I sent you guys a link to a article from Sounder at Heart that Jeremiah Oshan wrote today uh, that was just talking about how some of the other broadcasts were on MLS Next Pro this, this week. And apparently a lot of the broadcasts were using AI tracking cameras, mm. um, which were a mess, apparently. I saw but some I, highlights and I wondered what the hell was going on. And that's, Isn't yeah, that so, the same stuff they use at Creve Core? Like not, not yeah, that it's bad, I, but yeah, a lot of scouting, um, I think scouting uh, and academies use use that technology yeah. from <laughs> yeah, as far it, as I know. Yeah, it may not be the same product, but yeah, it, it's similar to that, Matt. And and Stuart, I was reading uh, that article on my way home. Uh, since I was really sad, I was like, oh, I have to find some some therapy. So huh. I, I was reading the article. Yeah, and it looks like uh, over time it's supposed to to get better uh, since it's uh, AI based. Um, so hopefully we'll see some improvement on that. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. The, um, you know, dichotomy between the game of the week, which, you know, had Taylor Twelman, Poppy Miller, Susanna Collins, uh, and multiple live cameramen going around the stadium. And that was fantastic. Uh, and the Tacoma Defiance match where some passes weren't even getting tracked in the midfield because the motion tracker wasn't picking them up. So uh, definitely some improvement there for, for MLS, but uh, no complaints, of course, other than no replay for us, but yeah. hopefully that's stored on servers somewhere that will be released, like, you know, something coming out of the Disney vault. <laughs> you, you, know, you know they have it available but at the same time at the same time so that brings up an interesting point do you think the reason that they don't have them available is because of the low quality for 99 percent of the games mm, that that could be part of it yeah so i i didn't even take into consideration just how poor quality everything besides our game was um not looking forward to away matches when we're not the yeah. game of the week now but you know that conspiracy theory part of me maybe says that they know how bad of quality and how it's taking a while for the AI to catch up to what will be presentable and uh, replayable so maybe it's purposeful that they're not releasing them yet but the other the only other thing I will give them credit for is the website the stats the highlights and again it could be because we were the game of the week but we at least I was able to go back and look at highlights for our two goals um, MLS Next put together a, like, a video package similar to what City put out today. It was a few minutes long. It focused on the entire game day. It's really high quality that they have out there. Kind of a look back at like the opener game of the week type thing. So could bode well for future games of the week. Um, but I, I did enjoy the ability to go back and kind of analyze the, the stats of everything um, and really see, you know, not just a visual representation of the starting lineup, but goals xg xa like all of those things and and really see it's funny what they gave for um juan cousin as far as xg for his shot those kinds of things you were you're were able to see if you wanted to look that deep into what they were providing which i did appreciate that even though i really would have appreciated the full game replay yeah i didn't look at the stats for the players i because i did miss 
XG. I didn't see it in here, but I guess I need to click on this players tab. I agree with you. The uh, stats page are very good. Oh yeah, really good stuff in the players tab. That's awesome. Yeah, point yeah, one nine they... XG for Juan Cousin, and it's just for his one shot on target. Yeah, hey, <laughs> it's it's the way it is. It's not perfect, but it well, is. Well, and stat. it's like it's like what we've talked about, Phil. Of XG is fun to look at, and then. Assuming that they keep these up and, and allow us to track them over time, you're going to get to a point here in about a month or two where we can actually start to trend and talk about what what players are actually having success with their XG compared to, um, you know, missing shots that they have high XG on, which mm-hmm. kind of lets us analyze a little further. So there's a lot of work that we can do and, and fun we can have with what they're providing. Yeah, absolutely, and they and that is something that. They should be proud of. This is good work here. And we are being a little negative on the other stuff, but we got to show that other side as well. So it looks like our XG was, I'm not adding it up quickly enough in my head while I talk, but below two. So the fact that we got two goals as far as XG is concerned, it's a good thing for for the day. And it looks well, like... Go probably ahead. a good segue into our second goal because one, yeah. the, the player who scored that kind of raised our XG up quite a bit. Yeah, 0.79 on that one. So without the, I guess that's about accurate too. Like you know, about eighty percent of the time you score, a, score a, a penalty. So there you go, Vitor Diaz. Now, Santi, do you remember how I'm forgetting already how the uh, how the penalty was called exactly? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, if I remember correctly. Uh... It was a long pass from, I think it was from Dolling to um, mm-hmm. Diaz. Yes. And, and right. Diaz was in the penalty box. Uh, he uh, basically he passed the keeper, and the keeper, when he tried to get the ball, basically he got Diaz's uh, feet, and um, that was it. Penalty and I think, kick. didn't Dolling intercept a pass too? I to believe it was a turnover. That run? Yes. And that pass. I, you rarely see a striker put a pass like that, you know, in behind with that kind of a touch. That was yeah. some good work. It was beautiful. Well, that, that's one place where the highlight really helped because it included Twelman's analysis of it. And I, oh. I really liked how he, he called um, uh, Doling had the ball. And instead of making a quick run, he purposefully slowed down to give Diaz enough time Absolutely. to stretch the field. And as he's about to get past the last defender – Doling flicked it off in front of him, and it was perfectly placed to where he'd either have a shot or the goalkeeper had to commit himself to that, and obviously he committed himself to the foul. Yeah, another another cool thing that Taylor was able to interview the coaches, obviously, about certain things. And, you know, something we noticed in preseason was that Doling is doing a lot of, like, target forward work where he wants to lay it off for someone else, right? But I guess City's been really pressing him to learn and more often uh, push in behind, and so that's something to look for. He did it a lot early in the game, and then, you know, we saw a lot of target work outside of that because it's what he's best at. He's really good, but they are wanting him to run on and clear some space in behind every once in a while, so that's really cool. And he did get a ball from, I forget, from I think from Diaz or Cousin where he was running on, Um, so, you know, it is starting to happen. It reminded me of uh, the MSU game, again, recency bias, but that one of those last tune-up games um, where more often than not, Doling was finding himself over on the right side in the corner um, being given a ball that he was kind of able to able to work himself. You know, he wasn't like the, the find a guy in the box and hope he heads it in type of a guy. 
he was pl making plays out there on the corner and he was kind of facilitating um, some of the attacking mids and Kuzain got a goal in that MSU game because of that. And so uh, yeah, it, it kind of, I, I could see that being carried forward into the season with that kind of a pass. Yeah. And, and Doling had the uh, second touch uh, before the free kick that set up the first goal, right? He laid it off to Diaz or Mikeens, who got was the one who got fouled to set up the free kick. I think that's how it was. Oh, nice. Um, Must have been Diaz at that point. Um, Martins yeah. came later, but still. Yeah, oh, I think yeah, it, yeah, I think it was Diaz. I was gonna say like uh, that um, combination of Dolin, Kusain, and Diaz. Like uh, it's it's really dangerous. Like uh, uh. they they can create chances and uh, they had like three or four plays where they look really good uh, like passing it to each other and creating a space uh, that's something I really liked me too me too and that's not even yeah we were talking about some stats I think we'll, we'll get to that in a second but um, yeah it's, it was really cool to see those three especially kind of work together um, there was something oh the last thing I want to say was um, in the broadcast, they slowed it down and did a replay a couple times. Um, and I'm pretty sure Diaz did not get touched. That I think he did die. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm bad at that. But the fact that Taylor was like, hmm, let's take a look here. I'm not sure he got him. It's hard to tell. You know, he kind of backed wow. off. But it looked like Diaz went down without being touched. But it was, <laughs> even in slow motion, it was almost impossible to tell. That yeah, that's, that's funny savvy. because... Uh... I I saw it. I was like, oh yeah, this is a penalty. And, and <laughs> Hector, my my co-host, he was like, no, that wasn't a penalty. He, he sold it well, but it wasn't. He's got good eyes. I never catch yeah. that kind of thing. The Rochester fans that were there, there were three that made the trip. Mm -hmm. um, after the match, they were like, that was a really soft penalty. And uh, Rochester actually had a, uh, I think Hebert uh, had a. Oh yeah, tackle in the box early. Yes. I thought Hebert yeah. was amazing. Uh, Hebert yes. had an awesome game. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he had a. It would have been a really soft penalty for Rochester, but they were saying, "Well, if you call the one on DS, you should yeah. call the one on." That's fair. Uh, but as early as the Hebert one was, I feel like yeah. I feel like the ref just didn't want to make that call so early because that was like ten minutes in, if that. Yeah, that was that was pretty early on, and actually, early. I'm, I'm trying to look up who the. Uh, Matt, Matthew Thompson was the official, um, and Matt and I were talking during the game that we we were assuming, considering they went out, MLS went all out on everything, that the uh, officials were MLS officials. But no, um, he was he did the USL Championship Championship game this last year, and he won Referee of the Year. That was in the broadcast as well. Oh, so, dude okay. is good. Oh. Okay. Yeah, but at least they did get like a high quality proven yeah. ref. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to make sure we covered that because I thought it was kind of interesting. Something to look for if we do get to rewatch that. I'll be watching that clip for sure um, in slow motion again. Um, I think now we got to get to the bad part of the game, right? I mean, there were moments where Rochester really clawed back and they figured out how to play us. I guess that's one thing to talk about is that they are the only independent side and they are the oldest team in the league by far, I think. And um, I think that veteran presence kind of showed itself that they were able to kind of figure us out. And we're not that young either, but 
they were able to kind of figure us out throughout the game and make some plays with their special players. They were about two or three that could really do some special things, and um, they got some shots off. I thought um, they did better than I would have liked to see, I guess, is, is what, I'm, what I will say about that. They didn't, you know, you look at the stats, I think they got two shots, right? Um, zero on goal. That yeah. doesn't sound right, but that is true. That's what it says. Three shots, zero on goal. Um, so we handled them very nicely, but they had more chances than I thought they should get. Um, but, um, like I said, they're veterans. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but you know we're leading to a red card here, right? So maybe we can start working our way toward toward that. Well, my, so I, I remember thinking during the match how it, how it seemed like they were trying to focus on almost breaking our press. So we we were we were swarming quite a bit when they had the ball. Um, we were attacking on defense and it just seemed like, and I think the stats back this up quite well um, with their passing accuracy and their number of passes where they were making a lot of short, quick passes, trying to create space, trying to move the ball around the pitch, not necessarily up the field just to get away from us. And I, I think that's where you start leading into um, when they did have success at creating the space uh, in particular, the, the red card came into play, or the second yellow, rather, uh, because an outstretched pass, Rochester had success in creating space out on the right side, hmm. and as one of their players went to make that turn towards midfield, he was tripped up by Ezra. Yeah. Well, and before, and before that, we have to mention that there was this weird situation. It was after the second goal that he got this yellow, um, and it was like the ball was being tossed to someone for a throw-in or something like that, and he just launched it. He kicked it. And so he got a yellow, I assume, for time-wasting. I'm not sure exactly what they would call that other than that. So he got a yellow, a really idiotic yellow. I mean, he launched it with his foot. There was no reason for it. Maybe he hit it harder on accident. I don't know, but it was an obvious, stupid yellow that he got. And then he was put in a difficult position, he had to make that tactical foul, and he already had a yellow. So um, I'm going to say rookie mistake for you, Ezra, who is one of my favorite players in preseason, really made a massive mistake in that first game. And, and we had to learn. Maybe it was good practice, right? We had two goals. It's kind of good timing if he's ever going to do it. A good practice for uh, 10 men on the field and them trying to figure out how to press, which looked really interesting with 10 men for a minute. I think they were all confused. Um, but we do have to say that, you know, Ezra making a bit of a rookie mistake in his first game there. Yeah. Yeah. So MLS next pro, I assume he's going to be suspended for the next match. Yeah. You'd safe assumption. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we won't see him at home. It'd be kind of nice if that would have been the Colorado game and he would come back for the next home game. But yeah, I agree. But Damn he you will cronky. be eligible for the open cup. <laughs> Damn you cronky. I like that. <laughs> The other thing I want to say about um, so I've always I think I've always missed the games where Ezra plays forward as as a, in this case I think he was like a left mid left attacking mid um, I don't like him there I just don't and maybe Rochester handled him well I don't know I don't know but something I've realized after watching this game is if we play Kuzain in an attacking role and Diaz who's not slow at least but Kuzain's not a burner. So I think they're worried about, and neither, Doling's not fast, you know. He's not slow either, but it's interesting that I think they might be playing Ezra as a veteran presence up high who is a straight-line speed kind of guy. He might be one of our few straight-line speed kind of players, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what you guys think about this, but this was my first thought when I thought, 
Ezra's obviously a natural wing back. I like him as wing back, um, as a left back. Um, but I don't like him forward, but maybe he's up there for speed because we do need more speed. We don't have a ton of speed if it's not an academy kid, I don't think. Now, I haven't timed uh, Pompeo Martins. I haven't timed Diaz. Um, I don't know who else might be in that category in your guys' opinion. But um, anyway, that was one thought I had about Ezra playing forward. Before we get – I mean, before looking at on the field, it just seems odd. Um, City touts him as a defender. He's played his career as a defender. Yeah. Um, they're touting Kwame Awoye as a midfielder, <laughs> yet it was obvious that Kwame started as left, as left back and Ezra as a left mid. And the best thing – I mean, speed is likely the answer because we seem to um, really fall in love with those overlapping runs between our fullbacks – and our outside mids, um, Kuzane and uh, Kuzane and Watts or DeRosa were having some success with that on the right hand side, and I saw some fan reactions too where they were absolutely loving what DeRosa was doing on the right hand side with those overlapping runs. And I know Kwame had done that in preseason um, when those two started in the, in that position. So it's not it's not like Ezra hasn't been playing this position because it seems like that's where. Um, Hackworth or Lutz or whoever has identified him as best, it almost reads to me like it's a system placement as opposed yeah. to where his history is. Yeah. So they they want Kwame on the field, they want Ezra on the field. Whether they just mesh well in those roles and Ezra's speed just um, plays well as a as, as an attacking position, I don't know, but it definitely seems like it's in this posi- in this system Ezra matches up better as the left mid so it's really interesting akil watts is also normally a right back and ezra is normally a left back so we're almost playing where we do five at the back except we're playing four defenders and then two wing backs um it's just kind of a interesting formation or at least as far as where they're most comfortable uh historically with their positions I will say in this one, it was Akil Watts. I know he does shift a lot, and he does cover as a center backer and a fullback a lot, a lot. Um, but he was playing as a center defensive mid alongside Schneider in this one. So that's why he was getting forward, but he was central quite a bit, even though he covered a lot defensively. So, um, so yeah, we did play with four in the back. And, and, and that's what I'll say about this game as a, the, as a positive. I'm gonna, I don't think I'm even spinning this. I'd say our best quality in this game – and in preseason, especially as we got better, was that we're just hard to play against. And that's something that Lutz has said in the past, that, you know, like, teams are going to hate playing us because if we can't play an attacking style even, like, we weren't meshing massively. We we had awesome, awesome points in the game attacking-wise, stuff that was fun to watch. But we had a very conservative setup, I'd say. If we're going to put DeRosa on the right back spot and we're going to put Kwame at the left back spot, that means Ezra is like a, a defensive forward in some ways, you know, uh, which in a pressing team, that's not abnormal. It's not weird, but um, we were hard to play against. And I think that setup served us well against Rochester, that we had a very defensive back line. It wasn't a burner fullback setup we were just going to be hard to get past. And we were in that game. Not only was our press nice, um, we were ballsy in the midfield, right? Schneider was just, you know, showing what he can do physically. And of course the, the free kick as well. So 
Um, I, I don't want to go on too long. Just to kind of reinforce that we are hard to play against already. That is something that is a quality that is St. Louis City SC, and I like it. I love it. Well, to me, it a lot of it goes back to our two center backs are two of the most reliable and just quick people on the field. Hebert and Yarrow were the reason, and, and we had talked about it in preseason, they were the reason that we were able to push up so high mm-hmm. and still have success in uh, in our defense because they're, they're the two who, if you watched when we were on the left-hand side moving forward, they were, they were shifting over to the left-hand side to the point where DeRosa looked like he was playing a right center back role. Yeah. And, and having those two in that consistent area where one of them at all times was in the mid and the other was helping out over on the, where, where the ball side was, it just seemed like it worked so well. And they had, like, if you look at the stats, honestly, when we were on offense, those two, um, along with uh, Schneider and um, I think Diaz had some of the highest passing accuracy um, rates on our team. So they were, they were safe with the ball. They were consistent with the ball. And when we were on defense, it was pretty obvious that Schneider, Hebert, and Yarrow were kind of like the big men on campus. Like they were the ones who were, Schneider was always constantly attacking the ball and he was, he was everywhere it seemed. And Hebert and Yarrow made sure nothing, absolutely nothing got through. I, I give them a ton of credit on the fact that Rochester had no shots on goal. Yeah, and we knew that in the preseason too. So just like the last thing I can say on that uh, without going, continuing to go on with those two is just, there's no surprise to me in seeing that because they were the tandem the entire preseason when we were kind of expecting who's going to start. And I think that time together in preseason has allowed them both to gel very well together. Completely agree. They were almost always on the field together, right? No matter what formation, they were both on the field together quite often. And I've also, oops, pardon me, I, I love the last thing I'll say is that um, in the way that we set up, sometimes we play in a three back in, in, uh, in preseason, and I'm sure we'll see it during the regular season. But we had DeRosa has played an outside center back position, Yarrow has played center back in two positions. We've seen Hebert play left-sided center back um, in three and two. We've seen Kwame play left-sided center back and left back and left wing back. Um, And we've seen Watts play right back, right wing back, and right-sided center back. So we've got five players who have played center back or an outside defensive role. And one thing I noticed was any one of them could... I think what happened was like their striker dropped in or maybe they kicked a long, quick uh, counter ball to their central mid. I don't know what happened, but Yarrow was way up the field. And I think it's because they lobbed a ball to someone and he was like, I got to get to that guy. And he just ran forward, put pressure on him when he got the ball. And then all of a sudden I saw like Akil Watts as a center back or, you know, we saw DeRosa scooting over. And these three, any combination of three or four could play that back line if one just goes forward like that. And I just love that that it looked very natural. I don't even know if it was planned, but those guys all have the capability to mesh well together and and cover for each other. I like that. That's fun. Well, it reminds me a lot of what you see with Tyler Adams on the national team, where because he's so versatile and he can play that position very well, you can have flexibility with where your defenders are on the field. And so if you're having your central defenders um, up front, as opposed to or your fullbacks who are making runs on the sides, you can have one of your your uh, defending mids 
cover that position. So you have Schneider and you had Watts who were, were that position on Friday. Both of them were doing that job mm-hmm. where they were tracking back and they were covering for whoever needed it on the back line. So that level of flexibility. And I expect as we talk about, uh, as we think through who might be starting or getting time in the next few games, I expect um, Palazzolo to also slot into one of those positions as well. Absolutely. So I think that, and that provides us a lot of depth when you think of who can cover when you've got fullbacks moving up, when you have your center backs making those runs. I mean, you, we just have so much, so many options available to us. Yeah. The flexibility is insane with this, with this team. And that's been fun to watch. We should finish up with the game. Any last thoughts about the game? Or if we want to talk about what happened after the game, I'd be curious what the atmosphere was like after the game as well. So Uh, obviously obviously a lot of players that uh, stood out and Matt already alluded a little bit to it, but I really like what I saw from Snyder, like uh, his presence and, uh, his intensity, the way he went for every ball, like I really like him, and and yeah, like obviously he's a defensive mid, and sometimes you don't see all those things that they do, but yeah. I really like what he did and the way he played. Completely agree, Stuart. What were you gonna say? Uh, just for me, I, I said before Hebert, I really liked what he brought. Um, <clears throat> also, I mean, I think Kuzain was my man of the match, but Diaz yeah. was was really close behind as well uh and it would surprise me if aj slides in and partners with uh, schneider in the midfield going forward in one of the next couple games but if they want to keep going with watts in the midfield instead but uh, aj and schneider look so good together in the preseason when they were paired up that it just seems like they would be continuing that on you know i'm I'm thinking back to those preseason matches and Remember how Schneider, I don't want to say disappeared, but we couldn't find him on the field for a little while. He might have gotten, might have been his haircut because at some point that, he got yeah. a massive haircut. Cut his hair off. But it also kind of coincided, I believe, with Ben DeRosa signing or, or coming on board and starting to get minutes. And he's another player who he played the full 90, super impressive. And looking at his resume, drafted in the super draft by NYCFC in 2021 playing 20 games with Charleston Battery. I mean, he's got he's got the resume and it seems like he has the trust of the coaches, one of only five or six players to play the full 90. Huh. So when you're looking at who's going to get these minutes at our fullback positions um, between and and you talked about we just talked about the depth at uh, defensive mid, but at the same point our fullbacks be, Ezra could play it. Quant, Phil, you listed him off. You now have DeRosa out there who it's it might just be his position at right back. And so mm-hmm. where does Akil slot in when you have Palazzolo and you have Schneider? There's a lot. I think there's a lot of rotation that's going to happen because of that. I agree. Agree. Speaking of rotation, let's just talk about the subs quickly. Uh, Celio Martins uh, came in in the 63rd minute. Just nothing but sauce for the rest of the game. What a cool super sub, right? Like that dude's going to score some goals or at least cause some problems for defenses. Uh, whether he starts or whether he subs in, that's pretty cool. Uh, AJ Palazzolo came in for Diaz um, in the 72nd minute for a bit of a more defensive look, and you know when and he that was on... the first. That, sorry, that was the first sub after the red card, I believe. Yeah, yeah right. Was, yeah, good call there. So yeah, we did go to like a four-four-one um, when we had ten men on the field, and that that was him slotting in it, again. People moved over into weird spots, but it wasn't that weird because they've done them all before. 
Uh, speaking of weird, Fritz Volmar came in in the 88th minute and played left mid for the rest of the game. And one thing I had to say is that immediately he became what I said, the swarmiest player on the pitch because dude was just buzzing, like running his butt off as hard and as fast as he could. And there's just a difference between those academy kids and, and the veterans. There's just a difference. There is. And I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm not going to make an opinion there, but I enjoy watching Bull. I enjoyed watching Bolomar run his butt off in that game. It was cool. Yeah. Also first academy player, um, debuting yeah. for, um, Trivia yep. Well done. Yeah. Got to remember It was that. such a such a low risk kind of well, not really a low risk, but it was such a perfect opportunity to get him a few minutes where you just needed to shut the door and you needed to make Rochester as uncomfortable as possible. You knew he would come in with the fire and with the energy and the excitement. You knew what it meant to him. You knew he was proving himself at one point because he is the first academy player, the first amateur. Yeah. And I think that what you said his role was filled just to make them uncomfortable and swarm out there on the left side. I think it was a, it turns out it was a pretty perfect substitution at that point. He had a couple 1v1s in that short amount of time, and he, he handled himself very nicely. Um, and you mentioned low pressure. No, not low pressure. No, you're right. It's not low pressure because it's 10 men on the field. It's just a 2-0 lead, and these guys showed that they were dangerous. So we put on an academy player at left mid, a position he doesn't play very often. That's trust right there. That's awesome. Love shows that. you how much of a, a park the bus situation we were in at that point where you had <laughs> you true. sent one of our academy center backs in at left mid <laughs> i loved it um stats wise there was one more thing um i'm gonna get his name wrong if i don't look it up again aaron scott uh, i talked to him on on dms every once in a while and he mentioned something that was interesting that um we had 65 percent uh possession not possession i keep saying that pass completion percentage in this game and that sounds very low and he said that to me i was like wait oh that's terrible are we bad at passing and i would say we weren't amazing in this game um but then my next thought was well i've never really looked at stats for a pressing team and what it looks like Mm -hmm. and so i said to him well why don't we look up new york red bulls passing percentage completion um and in 2022 so far they're at 69 percent and that's only 5% more than us. So, um, And then Rochester had like 72%, and their opponents average is 78% for New York Red Bulls. So less, yes, in both categories, but it's the proportion is there. Um, I would say 65 and 69, like that may be what we're looking at for the rest of the season. And so we shouldn't freak out about that. But it was very strange to me, and I do think it's okay for us to be like, yeah, I'd like to see that go up. But, you know, I was just thinking about it, and I was like, we're a pressing team. We're not looking to get 13 passes to confuse people. We're looking for a turnover, a pass, and then maybe one or two more for a goal if we need them. You know what I mean? And it's an aggressive move. It's an aggressive, quick pass, and it doesn't always end up being accurate every time. So those are my thoughts on that. Um, I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts on that before we move on. Yeah, it makes sense for a, for a team that uh, is pressing and trying to make quick transitions like yeah obviously there would be some mistakes but yeah if you're trying to attack quickly and surprise uh, the opponent uh, that will happen absolutely post game any thoughts before we well um, i think yeah one one last thought on that is i think it's important to keep in mind when you're when you're pressing like that and when you're trying to make quick passes and not possess the ball for very long the antithesis of that is what happens if that doesn't work so the 30 plus percent of the time that our passes didn't work out 
you swarm, you put the pressure back on them. So it goes back into the other side of the mindset and you see the other side of the coin play play out where we're putting the pressure on them, which leads into how I view a lot of their higher passing percentages working out, which is making short passes to try to break the press, to try to get out of it. And what I was saying earlier of that quantity and percentage of their passes is more indicative of the fact that they were being pressured by us making short passes, trying to create space and trying to do something. Maybe after we turn it over, maybe after we have a pass that goes, uh, goes awry. But I think by putting those two things together, taking chances, trying to make things happen quickly in a press and then almost counter pressing and swarming the player who gets the ball next, as long as you can keep up that intensity, it works. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to see some rotation and, and guys, especially who run the field and in those roles are, are defensive mids are, are attacking mids. You're going to see some rotation because they're going to burn themselves out rather quickly. Um, you know, meaning 60, 70 minutes doing that because that is a very physically intensive role that a majority of our team is being asked to do to make all of that work. Yeah, we should be using five subs every single game, right? All five, um, Barnsley style, right? <laughs> We've got the depth. Let's do it. Yeah, love that. Um, I do want to hear about post game. It was cool to watch the excitement after the game, and everyone just kind of celebrate. It was just like a feeling of celebration. Like finally, this has happened. You know, like we're on our way to MLS, and this is just like the final stride, a uh, big long stride before we get to start that. And um, it just felt like a really cool environment. I, I'm sure you guys were all kind of hanging out, uh, feeling pretty good with your friends after the game. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was great that the team came over. Actually, I think uh, something you might have noticed is also, uh, I think it was Suzanne Collins and Poppy Miller were in the midfield and the players kind of... I think they were going to inter wanted to approach players and interview them, but they walked the team walked past them to go to the fans on the on the sideline. I saw that, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if if wires got across their expectations or what, but it, it's always cool when the uh, when the players come over and and seeing a lot of the the kids uh, go up to the boards. And that was that was that was incredible. Just seeing the amount of kids in front of the stands who were just walking up or during the game they were chanting cheering but they were right on the action and there there are probably a few lifelong fans that were were made on friday so uh i i love the handshake line uh whenever kids can get in there um i was in there for part of it and obviously i'm not a kid but uh if your kids are at hard. the game if your kids are at the game get them in there um that's right if they're being forced out and big people are taking their spot just give them a tap and you know kids should get priority on that kind of thing that's absolutely that's such a such an experience um so after the game was fantastic i uh i mean you can't be buzzing more than winning your first first game so the board comment is interesting. Um, harkening back to the St. Louis FC days where the boards were always contentious on being down there and is, is it allowed and everything. Um, I had an interesting exchange. It was, it was 
pretty funny where towards the end of the game more and more kids were starting to get along the boards there on the near the supporter section and they couldn't have been much taller than the boards themselves so it's not like they were posing <laughs> uh like a, a visibility risk to people in the stands it was just they were that excited and they're and they were getting their friends up there and it was just a thing and um caleb Neon, the supporter group manager for the club at one point was next to me and he kind of looked over to him and he was like is this okay and I was like, and, and I just look at him. I was like, I was like, the way this game's going with this energy and passion and what they're doing down there, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I, I thought that as they kind of, I mean, Stu's comment of the all those kids and getting in line with the players, I was so excited to see the players come over. And they've done it in the preseason. Um, what was it? The it was either the Memphis or Loop City game where they started that um, over at Creep Court and Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. And and that to me is the ultimate show of appreciation. The San Luis FC players were so perfect about doing that, and that's how you get the the relationship between the players and the fans that we're craving. And I think are de- would develop those lifelong fans that were made during San Luis FC and were no doubt made Friday and will continue to be made um, even even during times of loss because you're going to have the supporters and the fans who hopefully continue to show up and support the players through the thick and the thin. Um, but that to me, it wasn't just the players either. It was the coaches came over, the staff Lutz came over and thanked the fans. He was right behind the players as they were doing the handshake line, looking up at all of the supporters and the fans and just kind of like taking it all in and clapping at everybody. And that to me, that to me cemented it, that, it was something that starts from the top, whether you're talking the captain, Josh Yarrow, leading him over, whether you're talking Lutz encouraging it and coming over himself, you know, CKB's comments uh, before and after the game that I heard in interviews, it all kind of says the same thing about how when they talk about being in the community, this is a part of that and, and embracing the fans and kind of having that relationship. And it just, it gave, gave, you, gave, gave you the warm and fuzzies on Friday. I was right next to, I was in the front row watching the handshake line and I was just in awe. Like I was just like hanging against my wife and I was just like taking it all in because it was just so, I mean, I can close my eyes and just picture it again because it was, it was the perfect scene seeing the players come over, hearing everybody still chanting and cheering. And it was just, it was everybody's win at that point. Um, I think to close that out, I think I was really interested to see how the staff and the owner and Lutz and everyone responded to it. I was a little worried, and that's why I asked this early in the, in the podcast. I was worried about all these new MLS fans and, like, are they going to know when to cheer? Is this going to be, like, a really stale, gross game? Like, I, we know the Luligans are going to deliver, right? Um, so I was a little worried about it, but it sounds like, Hearing the response from all the new staff, um, from Lutz, seemed ecstatic about how it went. You know, like Seebeck, um, like everyone, Caleb. It was really cool to see them really happy about how it went. And, it, you know, I just kind of felt like this was like my baby that I get to like, sh- I was hoping that's what would happen. Like, here's my St. Louis soccer baby. I know it's amazing. I'm biased. I think it's the most beautiful baby in the world. But, I hope you'll like it too. And they didn't just like it. I think they were extremely happy at the end of that night. And that made me happy too. You know, I, 
we want our the staff at the club to feel like you know we're a kin like we have the same frame of mind that they like the things that we like and you know so far so good in that regard right um which isn't something we should take for granted um but we've spent so much time on this game and i think it deserved it so i don't feel bad about this but something else that deserves our time we'll, we'll cut out everything except this we're going to talk about this for the rest of the the show which isn't going to be much longer uh the futures program for st louis city futures program will be free and open to boys and girls between 7 to 14 years old starting with four regional locations in 2022 this is one hopefully small part of the whole city wants to come in and make soccer less of a rich white guy thing right this is one of those directives that we're going to put toward um, fixing that problem sasha bauer was appointed as the director of regional training and education that is going along with this. So, uh, Matt, I haven't had time to do the proper research, but it sounds like you did. So why don't you kind of uh, lead us into it before we talk about it? I mean, at its core, you can see that the Futures program is the basis for which everything grows with with City's structure. Um, Starting at the top, you have MLS and then City 2, and then the academy that goes from the U-17s down to the U-14s. Um, it's no coincidence to me that the age range for City Futures goes from 7 to 14. I think that gap, um, more or less, has been bridged from when you first start playing uh, team-based soccer, when you're around 5 or so, um, on at, the, at age 7 here, on up to 14. And... To make it free, to make it at Bayless High School to start this whole thing, to make it um, gender neutral, boys and girls, because we've we've talked and you hear uh, a desire for city or um, anybody to bring NWSL to St. Louis, you want to get girls involved too. You want to make soccer inclusive and available, and this checks all of those boxes. And I just want to read really quick one of the paragraphs from the from the futures program itself. It says the city futures program has several layers, way to play sessions, free coaching education classes for local coaches and monthly all region friendly tournaments starting in summer 2022. The way to play sessions last between 60 to 90 minutes depending on age and are free and accessible for boys and girls between seven and 14 of all playing levels from the first kick of the ball to club level players. The sessions will work on developing soccer specific skills as well as supporting character and personality development to better serve our players in sport and in life. All program participants will have the opportunity to compete in monthly friendly tournaments comprised of mixed teams from all city satellite locations. And that to me is everything as uh, we've always talked about wanting this to be a more inclusive sport in the area. We don't have time to get into the pay-to-play aspects of St. Louis soccer's history. This is the step towards eliminating that. Um, and every every good program has a first step. And yes, the slots of this are limited, um, and it will grow. But we're now seeing the foundation of uh, availability, accessibility, and opportunity to kids uh, to learn and develop. Uh, a passion for soccer in St. Louis. Any thoughts from you other guys? Well, I was just looking, um, this comes off the back of, I I didn't see this before, but um, the uh, city also partnered with 
the regional YMCA, which that got announced at the end of February. So they're not just approaching this from, from one angle. There's going to be, you know, a few different angles. The community outreach of the club is, is fantastic. Um, I love what they're doing, how they're making the game accessible, how they're, you know, building. They've built one futsal court, and hopefully they'll build many other ones. Um, partnering with YMCA, you, you, you partner with um, uh, City Futures program. It's it's all part about city wants to be part of the fabric of the region, and more than winning games, uh, being active in the community is the way to do it. Uh, and whenever I think about how the Rams failed in St. Louis, I think about how there was no or not enough of a community aspect. Really, after Kroenke took over and a few years before that, they just killed off all of their community outreach, or at least what they did publicly. There were guys like Chris Long, who, who did a ton, but that was on his own. Uh, but then you look at the Blues and the Cardinals, and they're everywhere in, in the community. They, they do so much. Um, and I think City knows that even more than those those teams do. It's even more of a, a civic project than a sporting one on that, that side of things. So uh, it's, you know, City Futures program is a sporting outreach, but it, to me it's even more, it's, it's a community and a civic outreach. So I'm really, really excited about that um, and, and what it's going to lead to and where else they're going to go outside of Bayless. Well, and Bauer's role, too, is essentially what you were talking about with the YMCA program is to oversee that aspect as well. They said that in his role, he's going to be responsible for uh, the creation of a holistic player development curriculum, coaches to coaches education, in cooperation with Missouri Youth Soccer Association, as well as uh, working alongside um, Kalia Collier, the VP of Community Relations. So kind of that sporting side of the community relations and overseeing the recently announced partnership with the Gateway Region YMCA. So it's it's taking that under his wing. And I looked him up a little bit too, just to see kind of, because we've, we've met him, Stu and myself, uh, as part of the FX Council, he's been there um, getting to know fans and, and being ingrained ahead of his announcement today. Um, I did get to inform him of the Kickaroos program that Veta has in the area, which he thought was, uh, he got a huge kick out of. So that was an entertaining conversation. Um, but he comes from Germany. He has a history. He's got a UEFA A license, first of all, wow. which is impressive. <laughs> um, but he has a history of a you know, founder of Football for Worldwide Unity, um, just a instruction, youth coaching, uh, referent. I mean, he has a pretty good resume that seems to slot him in very well to be productive with this as opposed to just um, – having somebody step into this without the sporting knowledge to back it up. Santiago, any last thoughts before we kind of finish off today? Yeah, very quick. Uh, yeah, really excited about this announcement. Um, just thinking about a few months back when uh, the team announced the U16 and U17 teams and just thinking, okay, so these are players from other teams, not really a lot of new players that 
basically were not part of another team or an academy but now seeing this is a step in the right direction and uh, it will be a pipeline for talent and not only for the pipeline for talent but only also for community development but you kind of you can kind of combine those two things and uh, you'll be able to reach out to uh, underserved communities um, offering this uh, as a free program will ensure that the team includes uh, anybody that wants to play soccer and uh, by increasing um, the amount of people you include uh, long term you will be able to, to find talent in places where you didn't have access to or where you didn't have any programs at so it's a step in the right direction I, I really like it yeah and it feels like with this group that even if they're not from St. Louis there's like a civic duty you know not just like getting into the into the city but it like feels like they feel like they should be doing this for the city just because they are here and um, investing in it so that's my favorite part I love it and it is something I hope they will continue to, to grow because it is such a challenge such a challenge and such a problem so um, great we're gonna we're gonna cut it off there uh, but I will say that not making the docket today or getting off the docket to reality um, some other things we were going to talk about was um, our signed players that haven't arrived yet, Ostrak, Pedro, Klaus, what they're up to. Um, so maybe open up transfer marks and take a look at their last few games. Um, what Nielsen is going to do now that we know Sweden Sweden did not make the World Cup either. So um, is he going to come to City 2? Is he officially going to sign? Uh, what's going to happen there? So we'll talk about that probably in the ne- next episode. Um, Stuart un, unearthed on Twitter this Generation Adidas Academy tournament that St. Louis City uh, U17s will be a part of that is now including Liga MX, which is like, oh, that's a, that's something pretty exciting for me. I like the, the mix of the two uh, leagues there. So um, good stuff. We'll try to get as much of that in either next week or two weeks from now at the worst. Um, other than that, I hope we'll be seeing you guys April 10th. Tacoma Defiance won 4-0 in the last one. This is a good system in Seattle. Um, It's the Seattle Sounders uh, system, if you didn't know already. 7 o'clock at Herman Stadium again. Hopefully we'll get close to selling it out. Selling it out. Hopefully it'll be a good game. Um, And I hope we will see It'll be a measuring stick matchup, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, like that's, that's an academy and club system that I wouldn't mind, you know, taking on you know trying to be as good as or better in the near future be fun one good caller matt all right that's all we got guys thank you so much for listening we'll be talking to you guys again soon